Hey guys, what is up? Welcome to the Find Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Michael. I'm a registered dietitian and sports nutritionist, and I'm talking with athletes and experts about the key actionable things you can do to improve your health and performance. So let's jump right in. What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Find Your Edge podcast. I'm your host, Michael, and I am joined by Bill Scott from Setup Events today. Very special guest. Bill, how are you doing? I am great, Michael. Glad to be with you. I really appreciate you coming on. So um, we'll, we'll start off. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, about Setup Events, and kind of how you got into the sport of triathlon. Yeah, no problem. Well, first of all, I'm old. So I have to preface that because I go way back in the sport of triathlon to the early 1980s. Um, I got my introduction into the sport in 1982. I did my first race. I was a college swimmer. So I came out of that background and I had some uh, experience in the early 80s with cycling. And um, I forget who it was, but somebody said, hey, there's this triathlon going on. I was in Dallas, uh, Texas at the time. And uh, there was a triathlon in Dallas called the President's Triathlon, which was back in the 80s, was one of the big races around the country. And so anyway, this guy said, you ought to come out and try this. And so I went out and tried it. And that was the end of that. I was hooked and uh, began doing a lot of triathlons in the 1980s in Texas. And, um, and then in 1990, a friend of mine approached me and said, what do you think about putting on a race? And so he and I decided to put a race on in Dallas. And one thing led to another. And in the next couple of years, we had five or six races going. And then in 1992, I moved to Wilmington from Dallas, career change. And when I came here, you know, the landscape was kind of, there was a triathlon in Raleigh, actually the predecessor of Triangle. Uh, there was a triathlon in Charlotte. There was one in Wilmington, but, you know, they were few and far between. So I saw kind of an opportunity at that point and uh, decided to put a race on in 1994 in Wilmington, a pool swim triathlon. And, um, and then in 95, we added one more and in 96 we added another one and it just kind of slowly grew from there and 2000 you know triathlon became an olympic sport for the first time and a lot of people now look back at 2000 has been as being kind of a seminal moment in the sport because of the visibility that the sport got and the boy the numbers just took off and so during that first decade of this millennium uh, boy, it just, it just took off and we just added races and we added race directors. You know, we started growing that way by adding people to come and help put races on. And, and so that's kind of what started it all. So did setup events get founded kind of with that very first race or did, was yeah. that like a later piece? No, no I, I founded setup events in 94. Okay. And, um, uh, and, uh, yeah, it just, it just grew from there, but yeah, we've been in business 26 years now, 27 wow. years this year. Yeah. So in, in 94, did you picture setup events where it is now or? Well, I, I'll tell you a better way to answer that. If you had asked me back in 2010, did I see setup events being where it was in 2010? I would have said you're out of your mind. <laughs> we, we are nowhere near as big as we were in 2010. Nowhere near. Uh, because of a couple of different factors. One is that there's just so many more races now and so many more people putting on races. And, you know, the number of triathletes is kind of plateaued, as we all know. You know, in the, about the last decade, the number of triathletes is pretty much about level. But the most important thing is I had a couple of, of licensees who worked for us as set up events race producers who left and started their own companies. So, you know, guys who trained under me at Setup and became staffers, we gave them an opportunity to go ahead and form their own license division. And they got big enough and they just decided to go out on their own. One is Benji Jones with Jones Racing. You know, he got a start with us. And Greg Hawkins up in Virginia and Maryland got a start with us. And so, you know, we are just a fraction of how big we were back in 2010. Yeah. 
been kind of an interesting ride. Yeah, yeah, I think that's um, that is interesting. That's one of the behind the scenes things that you don't really know necessarily. Looking at you know set up oh, events sure. and go into the races, so that's really interesting um, to have that perspective. Um, so I mean, kind of with that in mind and to that end, how have you seen the race? or like the sport of triathlon and racing change over that time since you got into it and since you started putting on races to now? Oh my God. I mean, I don't know where to even start. I mean, you, you know, when I started doing triathlons, we used to show up at a race and we would lay our bikes down in the grass. So there would be no fenced in transition area. The race director would say, just lay your bikes over there in the grass. And, um, you know, when you finish the race, they used to give you a popsicle stick, and it had a number on it. And when you came across the finish line, you had this numbered popsicle stick, and then you went about another 30 feet, and somebody else collected the popsicle stick from you. It was a, that's how they timed the races. It was all done manually. You know, I, I, I remember in the late 90s sitting on my couch, and in that time, of course, we didn't have, well, of course, the internet was there, but in the sport of triathlon, the internet wasn't really a factor. Uh, there was no online registration or anything like that. So I even remember my wife used to print out thousands of addresses, and, you know, on, on sticky things. And we would print up race flyers, and I would sit on my couch, and I would peel off these labels and stick them on race flyers. And then I'd have to organize them by zip code so that we were able to take them down to the post office and qualify for a bulk mail discount rate. You had to sort everything yourself. And, and then, of course, you got all these checks coming in to your post office box. So you had to go down to the mailbox every day and get 25 envelopes out and take the checks out and endorse the checks. And it's just, you know, to where we are now, uh, you're sitting there, you know, you're looking at me with this look on your face, like, you know, there's no way that that actually happened, but you know, that, that was just a little over 20 years ago, you know, we were doing that yeah. so to, to see where it is now with, you know, websites and online registration and the ability to, you know, manage data and collect data. And it's just, it's just a totally different world. Yeah, so it sounds like from, you know, the perspective of putting on races, it's made a world of difference in the ease of doing it, just like logistics and the efficiency in doing it. You're not having to put as much effort into collecting payments, putting those payments in the bank, stuff like that. Um, and I, think that the, I think the difference is, is that, you know, there's, it's much more difficult today to put a race on, obviously, because you know, as triathlon grew and as these races got bigger and bigger, um, municipalities began to clamp down on you. You know, there were new regulations. Uh, there were new, you know, rules in place for how many police you had to have and road closures and everything. You know, back in the 90s, it was the Wild West. I mean, we'd go out and we'd put a triathlon on and I'd have a volunteer standing in an intersection stopping cars, you know, and it, it just... Today, it's just totally different from that, from that aspect of it. It's just become, it's become incredibly uh, difficult now to stage these races because of all everything you've got to do from a, you know, uh, insurance standpoint, liability standpoint, things like that. Yeah. And I think triathlon presents a unique challenge from that perspective because you have three different disciplines, which require like their own kind of environment. Like you have to have a pool or a body of water to be able to do the swim. And then you have to have a pretty good stretch of road to do that long of a bike. You know, I come from a, a history of like bike racing. And so they can shut down a city block in some small podunk town, North Carolina. And it's not that big a deal. You have very little impact on traffic because you just do a crit, you know, around right. a block. Right. Yeah. And so um, it is like an interesting thing about triathlon to have to have that much road closure and to expand across like so much area like i think it presents yeah, it a lot of challenges it is yeah that's why you see today even iron man you know you see a lot of uh of race directors now that are going to multi-loop formats you know because you know when you start thinking about police and you start thinking about volunteers and medical support and aid stations and it just makes too much sense uh not to have especially when you're doing like let's say you're doing a half you know you've got a 56 mile bike ride 
you know, if you have four laps or three laps of that 56 miles, you know, it's, it's not going to be, um, it's, it's not going to be difficult for the participant because, you know, they're not going to remember that stretch of road that they passed, you know, 45 minutes ago. Yeah. You know, that's, you know what I'm saying? It's not like you're doing a crit, you know, where you're going, you know, looping around a block. So it just makes too much sense to do those multi-lap races now. Yeah. And I mean, I think logistically, you know, I mean, so I've also done tech support for some of the half Ironman races like North Carolina, um, Raleigh, Augusta, a few of them. And from the perspective of providing tech support, you know, a point to point or even just like a big loop is, is harder to cover. It's a lot more ground to cover. Um, yeah. it could, it could take someone 30 minutes to get to somebody. And I would imagine you have a similar problem from the perspective of aid stations or, um, like, sweeping people so like if someone decides to quit the race having to go pick them up i mean there's so many reasons that that smaller more compact course would make a lot of sense yeah absolutely that's why you're seeing it yeah and plus i mean then you like to your point you have way less roads you have to shut down and you know you can have one cop on one corner for the same amount of time instead of having to have four times as many cops to cover like all the other corners across a course no question so that's interesting um so, and it's funny, I mean, back to what you said about the bikes in the field, you know, that's, that cracks me up. Cause I think of any of these big races, like I remember Ironman Raleigh, when that was still going on, we would go out there and do, um, some tech support in transition the night before the, or the day before the race. Cause people had to yeah, bikes bike in transition. yeah. And they have security out there all night. Like everyone has to leave their bikes. It's like all racked. And it's like a huge thing about making sure it's racked in the right place. And so to think that it used to be just, you know, people tossing their bikes in a field somewhere. Oh yeah. Laying down in a field. Absolutely. Yeah. Totally different. But I mean, I think that's the other thing with triathlon too, is um, you have a lot more participants in races. I think because partially there's so many more resources have to go into putting on any of these races. Like, I mean, from the Olympic distance and up, I mean, there's so many pieces that have to go into closing roads and stuff. You kind of have to have more participants to make it, like a worthwhile venture. If you like, there's bike races I went to where grand total across all the categories, there were probably less than 150 people there. Yeah. It's, so, and we've got triathlons that big now, which is, you know, it's really difficult as race directors to make a go of this, you know, when you're doing it with 150 people, uh, we can do it, but we can do it just barely, you know, um, it just, you know, like I said, 10 years ago, you know, you had races that were, you look at White Lake as an example. White Lake is, you know, our biggest race. Ever since we lost Peach to Battleship to Iron Man, which is a different story. <laughs> White Lake is our biggest event. And we used to do White Lake. In 2010, White Lake was two consecutive weekends in the spring. We had 1,800 people each weekend. 900 in the half, 900 in the sprint. We didn't do an international back then. The next weekend, 900 in the half, 900 in the sprint. So we had 3,600 people that came to White Lake in two weeks. That is now 700 people. Wow. And that, that's, that's what's happened with the sport just exploding in terms of not only the number of triathlons that people can do, but there's just so much other stuff. You know, there's Tough Mudders and Spartan Challenges and you know, I mean, people are just, you know, getting into different things. And so there's just so many ways that people can spend their money now uh, that just the numbers have just dwindled, you know, down. It's just a different world. So that's like, that's across the board. I mean, that's, it sounds like that's something that every company is. So, I mean, that's, that's interesting. So, I mean, to that end, how can, companies like set up or some of these smaller race companies compete with the big guys like Ironman. Cause obviously Ironman's putting on a lot of races all over the place. But yep. then with that being said as well, well, we'll start with that. And then I have a follow-up question yeah. on that. <laughs> sure. uh, you know, to me, Ironman, obviously if you're a race director and you're thinking about going out and starting an iron distance race, you probably need to have your head examined. <laughs> You know, Ironman, it's going to be a difficult road to hoe, not only from an expense standpoint and the number of volunteers you need, but just going head-to-head with Ironman and trying to get people to register for your race instead of theirs is very difficult. Same thing with 70.3s now. They're doing so many of those that, 
you know, if you've got a good venue to do a half, that's, that's one thing. If it's been going on a long time, that's great. But I think the future uh, certainly is for race directors to take advantage of the sprint and the international distance market. Because Ironman is not, at least right now, Ironman is not going that direction. And obviously people still need to race shorter distance races to get ready for halves and fulls. Uh, so I think there's a big opportunity and plenty of space for race directors to focus on sprints and internationals, which is what we do. We have a couple of halves that we've been doing forever, so we're not going to stop doing them. But, you know, the overwhelming majority of the races that we do are sprints and internationals. So is that, I mean, you, you talked about that being like tune-ups for people that are potentially doing longer distances as well, but is some of the focus there also on like pulling in new people? Because obviously most most people most people newer to triathlon are likely to kind of dip their toes in with a little bit shorter distance than work their way up. I mean, some people just jump in whole hog, but um, right. is some of the, is some of the emphasis there, like trying to attract new people as well. It is. And you know what, what becomes difficult there is the marketing effort because in our sport, you know, forever, it was very easy to reach triathletes, especially for setup events. All we had to do was post on our website and people were going to find out about a race. When you start talking about going after the mass market, now you're talking about a totally different animal. You know, now you're talking about marketing dollars that small race directors don't have. They don't have the ability to do that. Yeah. So it, it has to be kind of a, you know, it has to be something I think that is supported by the national governing body to a degree and coaches, I think, uh, need to try and do, I'm not pointing a finger at coaches and saying they do a bad job, but a lot of coaches will coach athletes to do an Ironman and they might not have stepping stones, sprints and internationals in their training program. They're just training them and then they're taking them to whatever and turning them loose and doing the race. So I think if more, if the national governing body and more coaches kind of assisted in that process, the people putting on the smaller races will get the business. Yeah. But to try and, you know, how are you going to do that? Are you going to go out and run TV ads in, in Raleigh saying we're doing a sprint triathlon? You know, if you've never done one before, it's just, you know, it's ludicrous to think how you're going to go ahead, you know, and, and try and get the word out to the masses. Yeah. I mean, I think that goes back to like the unique set of challenges that the triathlon presents. And I had never thought about that, but like marketing a race is, I mean, that's hard. It's, you don't have like a physical product that you can just put like paid ads on Facebook and someone who's not into triathlon might buy your t-shirt or whatever. It is a very unique thing where you're looking for someone who's like already got the inclination to do it or someone who already does it. And so most of the time, if you're advertising, you've got like your email list, but it's people who've already done races with you. You know, it's hard to get in front of those new people. That's correct. That's, so. that's the difficulty right there. It's almost as if, you know, we're kind of hoping that Ironman's power of luring people to do these races will kind of suck the Sprint International market with it. Yeah. You know, as, as they get more people interested in doing their races, part of their training and part of their preparation is going to include Sprints and Internationals. And when they go to seek out those races, they're going to be able to find them. Yeah. Um, so... That's interesting. But it, I mean, I think also one of the things that I kind of got out of what you were saying is a lot of the marketing that has to occur and that does occur and like some of the room for improvement at the same time is like the grassroots effort. So it's the coaches encouraging athletes to do some of these other shorter distance and local races, um, you know, partners like bike shops, uh, you know, even pools where people train, you know, like having them advertise and stuff. So it really is much more of like a grassroots thing. It's not, it's not going to be a TV ad that allows a race to go on. Correct. Yeah. That's what it's going to take. So, I mean, to that end as well, I mean, I think you kind of answered this question, but how can set up or what, what are you guys doing to continue to draw people into your races, even though there's been this pretty big decline in participation across the board? Well, yeah, you're talking about immediately right now with COVID-19 or? 
no. Yeah. So outside of COVID, which I do want to get into COVID because I think you probably sure. have a unique, unique perspective on that. But outside of COVID, like pre-COVID, kind of with this year in mind, what were you guys doing to continue to draw people in? Well, we, we are just kind of continuing to put our races on and, you know, we do a fair amount of, of marketing in, in the way of Facebook ads and things like that. But long term, we, we have a different vision. And I know I saw it in your notes um, of, of things you want to talk about, but um, our, our vision long term is much, is much different and, and kind of dramatically different in terms of the model that we see going forward. And, um, and that's Trihabitat. And, you know, that's still very much alive. It's kind of changed venues now and changed markets, but it's still very much alive. It's kind of taken a backseat right now with COVID-19. But um, in my mind, that's the game changer for us. Um, you know, interestingly, I've had some very long and um, kind of deep conversations with the national governing body about Trihabitat. And they're very much on board and behind it. Um, but it, it very much could become a model for where this sport goes 20, 30 years from now because of everything that we are race directors that we are constantly faced with. You know, it's getting more and more difficult every year to put races on. The money, the expenses are going up. We talked about it, police, road closures. Every year there's something new you have to do and it needs more expense. The numbers are kind of staying the same. It's not a good model. And we are running out of places to hold triathlons. You know, I've told people for a long time, you know, that it's not like you're going to be able to drive out into the country and all of a sudden you come upon this place like White Lake and it's, oh my God, this would be a wonderful place to put a triathlon on. Those places have all been discovered. Everywhere in the United States, those places have been found. I'll guarantee you with the number of triathletes and bikers and, you know, word has gotten out. Yeah. So all, all the good places are gone. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's kind of troubling when, when I look long-term, you know, where is setup going to be 20 years from now? Um, something big has to change in that model. And that's why we're going the direction we're going with Trihabitat, uh, because we think that, you know, could be a game changer. Yeah. So I'm really glad you brought that up. And I, for maybe anybody that hasn't heard about Trihabitat or isn't as informed about it, can you kind of give us like a little background on like what Trihabitat is and what your motivation behind creating something like that is? So Trihabitat is a uh, totally self-contained triathlon racing and training venue. Uh, the Where we are right now is that this will be located on 275 acres of land. Uh, it will contain a uh, custom designed and built lake, 25 acre lake that'll be shaped like a horseshoe. Uh, it'll be fed by subterranean springs. It'll have a liner, it'll have permanent lane ropes, it'll have permanent lifeguard stands. It'll be like a giant swimming pool but it's 1,100 meters long and 50 meters wide, and then you kind of bend it into a horseshoe the, so the start and finish are basically at the same place. It'll have a 14-mile long bike course that'll be 14 feet wide, and that's basically, if you can picture yourself driving on the interstate, an interstate highway lane is 12 feet wide. So this bike course will be two feet wider than a standard interstate lane. Uh, virgin asphalt, no corners, lightly banked turns, um, and then it'll have a six and a half mile run course. So that the distances were created, 14 bike, six mile run course, so that we can do a half Ironman. And we could do four laps of a bike for a half, two laps of a run, and 
and we can pull off half Ironmans, internationals, and sprints. But it'll have permanent everything, permanent transition area. It'll have, um, it'll have viewing areas for spectators that are made out of all the dirt that's dug out of the lake to create mounding. Huh? <laughs> Excuse me, almost like in golf, the PGA, like 20 years ago, started creating what they call their PGA stadium courses, which are golf courses that are designed for spectators. So what they do is they build up the mounding around greens and around the tees so that without bringing bleachers in, people could just sit on mounded areas and have great viewpoints down onto the action. So we'll do the same thing. We'll have mounding at the transition area and the swim start and all these different areas to where people can, can uh, very easily go and, and watch races going on. Um, but I think the most important part about Trihabitat is that everything is contained in 275 acres of private land. So you have no, no police, you have no road closures, you have a fraction of the volunteers that you need. You don't need a single volunteer on any of the courses for course direction. Mm -hmm. That's gone. Um, so it, it just, from a race director standpoint, it makes it very easy to produce these races. From an athlete standpoint, they're getting the finest racing conditions that they've ever they've ever had. Yeah, they've never seen anything like this. No, I mean it's perfectly smooth roads. You don't have to worry about debris, no cars, nothing. I mean, it's just you know it's a totally virgin environment for for uh, racers to be able to to race. Yeah, um, and so you know again, I I think it just it creates a a niche within the sport that we think we can capitalize on. Obviously, we're talking Atlanta now. Atlanta's where it's going to be. But, uh, we're, you know, we're talking about a facility that people can go train at 365 days a year, in addition to having races out there. Mm -hmm. And we're not talking about just triathlons either. We're talking about mountain bike races, uh, road races for bikers, uh, many, you know, running races, open water swims, stand-up paddleboard races, you know, anything you can do on this self-contained piece of property, we're going to do it there. Yeah, that's super cool. I mean, it sounds like kind of a mix between a lot of things that are totally, like, that are already out there in conjunction with, like, this triathlon-focused facility. I mean, you've got a little bit of the Whitewater Center in Charlotte yep. kind of mixed in. Um, you've got, like, the Rock Hill uh, Velodrome little yep. complex kind of mixed in. So it's super cool that it would be – available for all these different sports all these different interests and the fact that it's there all the time so say someone signs up for their first triathlon out there they can go out there in advance and train and be exposed to the conditions and yeah, then go do their race yeah one of the things that we're going to have there which is really cool is we're going to have a we call it the bike barn but it's going to be this giant bike barn and it's going to be where all we do all of our bike maintenance but it, we're also going to have 200 bikes that the facility is going to own. <clears throat> so if you're traveling in from LA, you can bring your bike shoes and your helmet. And you can rent a bike in advance and you can go out there and train and we'll have bikes different sizes, obviously. And probably it's a couple of different models, depending on which manufacturer we end up going with. Yeah. But it'll give people the opportunity to rent bikes as well, which gets back to your question about what, what can you do to entice new people to get in? Well, one of the things you can do is you can give them a safe environment. Mm -hmm. They're not out there riding on public roads, which scares people to death. And you're also giving them the opportunity to ride a really nice bike without necessarily investing two, three thousand bucks right off the bat yeah. on a bike. And I think that's one of the really interesting things. And I think that's like a really good point on like a way to draw new people into the sport is because historically, I mean, outside of renting bikes and stuff like that, like there's kind of a big barrier to entry for triathlon. I mean, at the minimum, you have to own a bike, which at the bare minimum, you're looking at a couple hundred bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, if someone is really thinking that they're going to continue to do triathlon, you know, they may be spending a couple thousand dollars yeah. to get into it. And then there's all the bike shoes, the helmet, um, in addition to your running stuff and your swimming stuff. So it's like yeah. triathlon's not necessarily a cheap sport to get into. So, I mean, if you can reduce some of those barriers to entry, yeah, you can draw more people in and certainly to kind of dabble in it and see if it's something that they want to do. Yeah, absolutely. 
And, and one of the other advantages that we would have is, and this is something that's interests USAT very much, is when we open, uh, they're going to commit to having one of their national championships there every year. Wow. So, you know, you might have age groups there for two years, and then you might have the collegiate nationals there, and you might have youth nationals there and whatever, but they're going <coughs> to, excuse me, i got a tickle in my throat. They're going to commit to having one of their national championship races there every year. And one of the things we were talking to uh, the folks at USAT about is right now when you go to USAT nationals, where is it? Is it back in Milwaukee this year? Cleveland, I'm not I think. sure. <laughs> I think it might be back in Milwaukee this year, but you know, they, they put 5,000 people in that race and they can only put 5,000 people in that race because they're limited by size. They're limited by how much or how long they keep roads closed and things like that. Uh, at Tri-Habitat, you don't have that. So what I was talking to them about is you could actually hold nationals over the course of one weekend. And you could have, if you're a male 30 to five to 39, your age group is going to start at 11 a.m. on Saturday. If you're a lady who's 40 to 45, you may not start until 10 in the morning on Sunday. You could put 20,000 people over the course of a weekend in there because you can race all day. You can race all night. One of the things I didn't mention was at Trihabitat, the entire facility is going to be lit. The entire bike course, the entire lake, the entire run course. So you can you can race all night. We could do a 24 hours of Trihabitat race, which we've yeah. already talked about. One of the ideas we have is a relay race where you get a relay team together and you go 24 hours and see which team could go the farthest. That's and super so, cool. I mean, I think yeah, you have unlimited potential there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you have what the ability to do like in a nutshell. That's kind of what it is. It's what? It just in a nutshell. That's that's kind of what Trihabitat is, and hopefully yeah. we'll be able to make this happen. Yeah, I mean, it sounds super cool, and like like I said, there's like unlimited potential for the space. I mean, you can do the ultra endurance things. You can, I mean, run all kinds. I mean, you can use each part of it individually, like you talked about doing just like swim races. You can do um, bike races on the course. You can do just running races. Um, I mean, one of the really cool things is if you get athletes out there, I mean, because it's a fixed course, like the course isn't really going to change. So you get draw pros out there to kind of set times and then people can come, come race the pros times course records. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, I I think there's a huge potential there, or, I mean, I think of like right near us in, in Garner, there's, um, a go-kart place it's an indoor go-kart course and like you can go just like race in the middle of the week with your friends and stuff so i mean do something like that like people can come out for team bonding or whatever it is um with like their friends or co-workers or whatever and they can come out and just do a little triathlon and race each other um i mean there's yeah. an immense amount of potential somewhere like that well the other thing we're gonna have we're gonna have cabins we're gonna have a facility with a kitchen and conference center and so one of the big marketing efforts we're gonna have is gonna be to coaches and teams you know, and give them a place. You know how that people do that all the time. You know, they'll get eight people together and they'll go to the Outer Banks or they'll go up into the mountains. And well, this is going to be a place you could come and you can train and you can have, you know, you can got a kitchen where you can fix all your food. You've got a conference room to where you can meet and look at video and and uh, and then just train there. So uh, a lot of the during the week stuff that we're going to be doing is going to be luring in groups, uh, corporate you know, groups that come in and have team building things going on. And so all that's going to be a focus as well. Yeah. I mean, again, there's just so much potential. I mean, right. coaches can come bring athletes and do uh, training camps. Um, you could even have like coaching clinics for like new coaches. Yeah. Um, I mean, with the bike barn situation, you can have like mechanics courses. I mean, there is so much cool stuff that can happen. Yeah. Um, so that's cool. And so right now, it's going to be Atlanta. Yeah, we were, we were, it, it originally was Wilming. This goes back a number of years. You know, I've been working on this forever. And if anybody out there is listening to this who heard about Trihabitat a number of years ago, they're going to say, Oh, there he goes again. And, and so one of these days we're going to get this thing done. But originally it was in Wilmington. And then we attracted the interest of a big company out of Florida that wanted to do it. But the first thing they said was, we don't want to do it in Wilmington. We want to do it in Orlando. 
So we switched all of our attention down to Orlando and we were going with them and talking with them. And one of the problems we had there is uh, it was going to be part of a big 25,000 acre mixed use development. <laughs> so we were kind of inhibited by their, the speed at which they were moving. We couldn't go until they had all the infrastructure in and things like that. And about that time, uh, a couple of years of working with them and trying to make this thing happen, uh, one thing led to another. We got wind of a, of a place in Georgia. And uh, I went and met with the guy and the owner and one thing led to another and now he's hot to trot to do this in Atlanta. So it's, uh, it's just a gorgeous piece of property Southwest Atlanta, about 20 minutes from the airport. Beautiful, beautiful piece of land right on the Chattahoochee River. And um, we were about ready to make the public announcement about this and begin the serious cap raise, raising the money to do it, uh, when COVID-19 hit. So things are just kind of sitting there waiting for uh, the world to kind of semi-normalize again. Yeah. And then we'll get going. <laughs> and one of the, one of the ironic things about this is that had Trihabitat been open by now, what we would be able to do with COVID-19, even with COVID-19, we could be putting races on there because we have the ability to socially distance we could be doing time trial half Ironmans where people start every 30 seconds and spread people all over the property and spread people out in the transition area. And just, you know, it's a shame that we didn't have it open by now. Yeah. Because we could, we could be taking advantage of this situation. Yeah. Well, and I think that's some of where like the importance of something like this comes from is the, the potential future of something like this. I mean, and that kind of gets into something else I want to talk about is how do you see I mean, it sounds like this could potentially be one of the outcomes of, of the COVID pandemic, but like, how else do you see COVID changing racing? Cause I think this facility certainly addresses some of that, you know, I mean, uh, it addresses some of the ability to just use the space however you want. Um, so right. you're not at the mercy of other, other rules, particular, potentially. Um, so how do you see COVID changing racing like outside of just like with this facility? Well, there, I think there's a short-term answer and a long-term answer. The short-term answer is you know, we don't know when we're going to be able to get groups of hundreds of people together again. All right? I think they keep talking about phase three or whatever it is. That could be three or four months from now. could be eight months from now. I mean, we're just sitting in the dark. So I think short-term – I think we as event directors have to figure out ways of being able to put races on to where we can maintain social distancing practices, spreading people out. Uh, and ironically, this piece of land in Georgia, we're going to be doing that uh, in the next four months. We're going to be putting some events on there, 5Ks, 10Ks. We're going to do a half marathon. We're going to do a mountain bike triathlon. Right now, it's just land with roads. So we, we don't have really, uh, obviously, everything we need, but we've got enough to where we can do some races like that and to where we can begin to let people come back out and run a 5K where you're starting 30 seconds behind the person in front of you. We're going to stage people in different areas and small groups and just abide by everything that's uh, supposed to be going on in terms of social distancing. Um, but hopefully that, that model is not going to last too, too long. Yeah. Because I can't imagine how, um, uh, you know, race directors that put triathlons on using public land, which is 98% of all the triathlons, how they're going to get approval, how they're going to be able to keep roads closed for three times the length of time that they normally would, which impacts volunteers and police and, traffic control and things like that, it almost makes it impossible for small race directors to be able to figure out how to do it and be able to make any money at all. Mm -hmm. um, so it, it, it takes kind of a piece of private property to be able to do that. 
Um, so that short term wise, that's kind of the direction we're going. Long term, I think, you know, a year, year and a half, two years from now, I, I think we're going to be back to normal. You know, we're going to have a vaccine. You know, this is going to be something in the past mm-hmm. we're going to talk about. But I don't think long term it's going to necessarily affect, you know, what we're doing or what we used to do four months ago. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think there's kind of two schools of thought about it. You know, I mean, I've talked to to Jason Biggs from FS Series about it. And like, um, one of the things we talked about was whether or not there's going to be a rise in virtual racing. I mean, you see that kind of now as like a stopgap. And that's kind of, I mean, it sounds like that's kind of what you're getting at is that some of the stuff that's happening now, like the virtual racing and stuff is really just for the time being until we're able to get back to racing, like in person and stuff. Cause I think a lot of, a lot of the thing that draws people to the racing is not necessarily just like doing the distances on their own. It's being around people, having spectators, you know, being able to go to races with their friends, go to a new city kind of thing. Yeah. So it's, I mean, there's a lot of aspects outside of just doing the distance that, you don't get with virtual racing. Um, yeah, we so. had a big we had a big discussion internally about virtual racing not more than about four or five days ago. And uh, my daughter, who is involved in my company and very outspoken, <laughs> she she and I are on different ends of the spectrum on this. Um, and I don't know, maybe I'm old school, and you know, I just there's no to me there's no substitute for getting out on your bike, right? Yeah. And riding. And um, so she was, she was very much saying, you know, I, I think these virtual races will, you know, they'll do great. And I think they'll be around for a long time. And I, I'm more of the school of thought that once we get back to normal and people can race again, I don't know how many people are going to be sitting down at their computer and also doing virtual racing. Maybe some of it. And that just may be me. I may be totally off base and wrong. That's just my thought. Yeah, no, I mean, I kind of share some of that thought because, I mean, we're in a unique place where it really could go either way. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, I think you have a mixture of people. Some people are really into the virtual thing. I mean, look at the rise of Strava. It's it's entirely like social media built around your GPS data. Um, So, I mean, they have a lot of cool stuff like the analytics on like looking at power files and stuff like that. So, I mean, they're doing a lot of cool stuff outside of that, but most of it got its rise because people could see what you were doing and liking it. And so then they started their segments and then there's the challenges. And so like, I think some of that stuff is here and it's going to stay, but I don't see, like, I personally don't see racing moving that direction. Like I don't see people choosing if they can be in person choosing to do virtual races instead most of the time. I think there is a small segment of the population that probably will yeah. use to do some virtual racing. But I, I would have to tend to agree with you that like I just don't see racing entirely moving to a virtual setting platform. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally agree with that. We really haven't we've done a little bit in the virtual space. We really haven't gotten into it that much. Um so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah. And not, who knows, I may be totally, totally wrong. And I, I would almost like to see it not go that direction, you know, because so much of like what makes triathlon cycling running unique is the community that you build. And so when everyone's sitting at home, you don't build the same level of community. You don't, you don't. I mean, I, you know, the, the vision of going to races and seeing groups of people sitting around after a race and, you know, having a beer or whatever and, and just chatting and they'll be there for an hour and a half after the race. Um, like you say, that just, you know, I, I just can't see that going away. Yeah. So that's interesting. Um, so I, I'm really intrigued by the tri habitat thing. I mean, that's such a cool, cool, uh, venture. And I'd see that as being, I mean, to, to the point of our last conversation, with like the virtual stuff, I see that addressing a lot of the, I don't want to call them pitfalls, but some of the like potential drawbacks to triathlon, like having to close off courses, road safety, all those things, like it addresses a lot of those, but then still allows for all the really positive things of getting to be around your competitors, spectators being able to be there cheering you on. Um, So it's just like such a cool, cool thing. I think that's one of the reasons USAT is looking so carefully at this and they're so involved in this is because I think, you know, as they see more and more race venues going away because of different reasons, you know, just urban growth and sprawl 
I mean, look at Triangle. Triangle is a race that is in its fourth venue now over 30 years. You know, it started at Lake Wheeler, and then it went to Lake Lockmere, right in the middle of Cary. If you can imagine putting a triathlon on in Lake Lockmere today, right? It's just hard to fathom. And then it went from Lake Lockmere to the Brown Lake, you know, out at the airport. What's the name of the lake? Crabtree. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody used to get out of the water and they'd be brown you know, after getting out of Crabtree. And then, of course, now it's at Harris County Park. So there's a race that's been in four venues in 30 years. And it's just the same thing. It's just like, you know, hey, we love your race, but you kind of need to move away, move out farther. Yeah. You know, just running out of places to race. For sure. And I mean, I think even just the 30 year lifespan of, of that race is unique at this point. I mean, you see races pop up for a few years and then disappear and then one off races pop up. I mean, I think, and I mean, maybe, maybe I have a skewed perspective, but there's not a whole lot of races that I see around that have been going on for that long. We've got two of them in the state. We've got triangle and we've got the Wilmington YMCA sprint triathlon in September. That's been going on since I think 1987. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sorry, 1977. Wow. 77 or 78 wow. was when Wilmington started. So, long time. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's really, really cool. So, I mean, the other thing is, you know, you said USAT is kind of getting on board with this and they see the potential there too, as this, as this being like some of the future, at least an option in this sport. So, do you see more tri habitat facilities popping up? like around the country? Is this something that you kind of want to just create one of and have it be, be the best and only? No, I think the, the, the goal is to obviously build the first one. And once we build the first one and we hopefully prove that it's successful, then the, the next idea is to definitely do more of them. So um, the, the first one is always the toughest one to get done. And, um, and that's certainly what we're finding right now. But uh, once we get the first one done, I think you could see, you could see more of them, you know, popping up. Yeah. We've already got eyes on, on other markets right now. Yeah. So we already know where we want to go. All right. I like it. And I mean, I think that's, that's such the cool, like so cool about it is that you can set up all over the place and have it be, an option. I mean, it can be a regional thing. I mean, it could be really as big as you want to make it. I mean, you could have one of them in every single state you could have, I mean, there's just so much potential for something like this. Certainly in all major markets. And, you know, one of the neat things about the concept is that you don't have to, you don't have to buy a piece of land that has a lake on it because you're going to build this lake from scratch and you can go anywhere and you can go down and get water. So um, if you've ever flown, have you ever flown, Michael, have you ever flown into Vegas? No, I haven't. When you fly into Las Vegas, all of a sudden you start seeing these beautiful bluish green lakes all over the place, little small lakes. Those were not natural lakes. You know, they went down a hundred feet and pumped that water up. Yeah. So you have the ability to go anywhere and do this, uh, which really makes it attractive. Plus the size of the land. One of the interesting concepts about this is that we really, you need about 250 to 300 acres of land minimum in order to be able to make this work. Well, ironically, most golf courses are 250 to 300 acres. <clears throat> and there are a lot of golf courses across the country that are going out of business and going under, mm -hmm. especially older public courses that have to compete with some of the newer, you know, private courses. So there is the ability, no matter what market you go to, there is the ability to go in there and find exactly the size piece of land you need in order to be able to do this. Yeah. And I think like not having to have the body of water pre-existing frees you up to go so many places. I mean, to your point, you can go into major markets and go closer to cities so that people can get there easier. They're more likely to come. It doesn't have to be two hours from anything out in the middle exactly. of nowhere. Exactly. And I think that's the key, that's the I, key is to make them convenient. 
Yeah. And I think that's the other piece of it is like, if you look at trying to find a place to host triathlon, we talked about this at the very beginning, there's so many considerations. Like you have to have fairly quiet roads. You want them to be in pretty good shape. You have to have a body of water of some sort. Whereas if with this, you can build the body of water and then you only have to build it one time. It's not like you have to rebuild it every week. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Such a cool thing. So thank you so much for, I mean, telling us all about that. Like I'm really excited to see that that come to fruition and have that up and running. Yeah. You and me both. It's been a long, been a long ride for me. I'll tell you. Yeah. I'm jumping all over the place. So I'm, I'm excited that you've kind of found the landing spot for that and then can kind of get the ball rolling. I mean, like you said, you don't even have to have all the facilities built quite yet. You can start having stuff out there running races. I mean, yeah. So that's really cool. We're, we're actually doing a 5k, not this coming weekend, but next weekend, the weekend after Memorial Day weekend, uh-huh. and we're doing a 5K in Atlanta on this piece of property that will be, everybody will be socially distanced. What we're doing is, it's kind of a neat concept. We're doing the 5K over two days. So it's all day Saturday and all day Sunday. And the registration platform is set up so that when you go, <clears throat> you pick your day, and then you pick the time you want to race. So if you're freed up, at three in the afternoon on Saturday, for whatever reason, you can go and you can register at three o'clock. Each registration block is 15 minutes and it only takes 30 people in any 15 minute block. So if you go to three o'clock and there's 30 people registered, it'll tell you, sorry, and you can go to 315 or you can go to 245 or whatever and you can pick your time block. But what it does is it's going to enable us to and we've worked out all the logistics where we can stage people that are coming for the race in different areas and then time trial them starting 30 seconds apart. And very low key, you get a shirt at the finish line. You come across the finish line, you get a shirt, you get a bottle of water, and we tell you to go home. Yeah. Go home. We don't po- we're not posting results. We're posting them to the website constantly. So there's no awards. There's no reason to hang around. Come and run. Go home. Twenty nine bucks. So wow. it's, it's going to be a you know our first attempt at actually getting people back out and running again. Yeah, I mean I think that's super cool. It creates a little bit more work on the front end from the logistics perspective of scheduling people's like time slots and everything. Yeah. But it allows once things get rolling, it runs smoothly as long as everybody shows up to their slot on time. Um, yeah. But that's, and I mean, I see that in the way like cycling triathlons, I mean, not triathlons, cycling time trials work. You know, you have, you have people going every 30 seconds, every minute, whatever it is, but they've Absolutely. got you scheduled. If you miss your time slot, you missed your time slot. Go to the back. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So exactly. that's cool. Well, I wish you all the best of luck with, with putting that on. Hopefully that's a huge success. We're going to um, do more. This is our test case. So hopefully it'll, it'll work well and we can do, we can roll out the other events. Yeah, well, and once all this dies down um, and get things get up and running over there, I, I know everyone here at the Endurance Edge would be excited to, to come down, check it out, and, and maybe spend a weekend down there. Yeah, we'd love to have you. So, all right, well, I like to kind of summarize and, and wrap things up. Um, so from your perspective, kind of thinking of all the things that we talked about, what do you think are two to three things athletes can do to kind of improve their performance at races, their experience at races. Um, maybe it's with try habitat in the future, but like what, what are just a couple of things that you think someone could take away on how to improve their performance or experience at a triathlon? Yeah. I, I, that was the last question you sent me, Michael. And I looked at that and I, I don't have an answer for you. I really, that was the one I struggled with. Yeah. Is, from my perspective as a race director, I don't know how to, I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. You know, we want, we want people to come out and have fun and, you know, we, we try to provide a safe atmosphere and, uh, but I, I, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Well, I, it's almost kind of like a loaded question. Cause it's funny. I asked Jason Biggs the same question and he couldn't, yeah, what did he, Jason say, he couldn't come up with a great answer for it either. I thought like, I thought both you guys would say like, be prepared, like bring all your stuff to races, you know, like anything like as simple as that. But I think my big takeaway from today was just how like transformational something like tri habitat is going to be for the sport of triathlon. So yeah. I think one of the biggest things people can do is support ventures like that. Support, um, support your, 
local small races, whether it's a setup race, whether it's an FS race, whether it's a Jones racing race, support them. Yeah. We need the support. We need people coming back and doing these small races because if we don't, we're all going to be out of business. Yeah. And I think that's the really tough thing. And I mean, I've heard, I, I by no means want to like shit on Ironman or anything, but you know, you, you kind of hear it likened to Starbucks, you know, I mean, Ironman races across the country, wherever you are, you at least know what you're getting. It may not be the very best race you've ever done, but you kind of know what you're getting into. Yeah. Um, whereas like sometimes going with like a small race that you've never heard of, you don't necessarily know what you're getting. It could be fantastic. It could be the best race ever, but I've also heard horror stories of people doing their first Ironman. The entire run was on the beach. There were no aid yeah. stations, you know I mean? You yeah. hear these horror stories. Um, so I think like, that's the thing is like, people can support those local races that are more reputable, like the setup events. Yeah. Um, that's, you know, go to support the people who have been in this business for a long time doing this. Yeah. Like Jason and like Benji, you know, people that know what they're doing, people are going to do a good job and you're going to, you know, enjoy yourself. Yeah. You well, don't go with some small startup race that's never done it before. Yeah. That's where yeah. you're going to run those problems exactly i mean you have i mean you've been putting these races on for a very long time there's a lot of lessons learned that you take into each race that you put on in the future you're taking all those lessons from all the past races and applying them to make sure that that's the best experience possible for a participant and so i think that's the importance of going with someone who's reputable been around for for a while putting on yeah. great races and i think again to to echo your point that's the importance of supporting some of the smaller guys is to make sure that those kinds of races are there and to kind of tie in something you said earlier about Ironman, not really showing an interest in getting into the shorter distance stuff. I mean, if people don't support those small, smaller companies, you know, the setup events, um, you guys may not be here in 10, 20 years, and then there aren't going to be shorter distance races to do. No, there won't be. So, Unless we get dry habitat open, which then we'll have them, but yeah, that'd be the only way. No, one other thing for people, uh, racing, one thing they could do, and I say this in jest, but it's absolutely read the race information. Don't just come to a race and not read the race information. It drives all of us race directors crazy. <laughs> it's very simple to do. Yeah. <laughs> important, important information that's being conveyed out there and a lot of these people are so cavalier, they just show up. They don't know where they're racing. You know, I, I raced for years, and I never once did a race where I didn't know the bike course and I didn't know the run course before I raced. Yep. I didn't need a volunteer out there because yep. I had driven the, the bike course and I had biked the run course, and I knew where I was going. So – Another thing is know the courses and read the information. Everybody's yeah. a lot happier that way. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was like one of my things with, with bike racing is I used to pre-ride or pre-drive courses for road races or crits. You know, you walk the course yeah, to kind of see. you want to know see. where the turns are and yep. all that. You know, yeah. it's pretty tough, yeah. Yeah, well, and with like time trials, I would write the turns on a piece of tape and put it on my top tube in case like – there may be a volunteer at every turn, but what if they have to pee and they dive off in the woods just as you happen to come by and you don't know where and that are. happens. That happens all the time. Yeah. So, or, I mean, or, or even more today, you've got the kids sitting at the corner who's supposed to be directing bikes to turn left. And you go, you get to that intersection and the kid is sitting on the ground and he's holding his phone, right? Yeah. He is nowhere near into that race he's texting somebody or looking at something posting something on instagram and yeah there goes the biker the wrong direction and happens all the time yeah yeah and i mean i think that's the thing is like any race well not any race any reputable race you're doing a setup events race any of those are going to provide you the information you need to be successful in that race to be able to complete the race you're getting all that information so just review what you get sent, review the information that is out there and make sure that you kind of know what's going on. And I can't tell you, I mean, I told you I did the tech support for, for some of the, the like half Ironmans and stuff. And like people will come up to me at expos. I'm sitting there working on bikes and be like, 
where's the aid station around this mile? It's like, dude, you know more about the race than I do. Yeah. <laughs> like, why are yeah. you asking me? Like, you're <laughs> and so you just, it's, and it's amazing how unprepared some people will show up to a race. Like we That's joke it. about it. We joke about it with bikes. Like people will come and they're yeah. like, like their brakes don't work and they knew it when they left wherever they were flying in from and they just like show up unprepared. And it's like being prepared is the bare minimum thing you can do. It doesn't take that much effort. That's right. So, That's right. well, I really appreciate all your time. I won't, I won't keep you any longer. Um, Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, where can people connect with you? Um, I know your website, obviously, Setup Events. My email address is real easy. It's bill at setupevents.com. Okay. So anybody that wants to ask me any questions or anything, especially now, I spend all my time on the computer. There's nowhere else to go, right? Yeah. Except out for my daily walk. Yeah. Um, just send me an email. I'll be happy to chat with you. All right, cool. Well, I'll put that in there. Um, I really appreciate you coming on. I learned a ton. It was such an interesting conversation. It was really cool to hear about tri habitat. And I, I think that that really is going to be transformational for the sport of triathlon. And I think that really is where the future of, of this could be headed. Yep. I do too. Keep yeah. your fingers crossed. Yeah, we'll do. All right. We'll Thanks, talk soon. Michael, appreciate it.